Welcome back to the This Believe Land is Your Land podcast. I am joined by Mike Krupka on what is now, as of the time of this recording, day three of the NFL draft. Uh, Mike, how you doing, bro? I'm doing awesome, Josh. Excited. It's a little bit early over here, but uh, things, are, uh, th- things are great. It's draft weekend, and we've got some great picks in the house. Yeah, we have. And, and we were just talking about it before the show started, but it's always amazing to me how early – Browns fans out in Hawaii, you got to wake up for this kind of stuff. Like the if you if you want in on the uh, the day three action, and you're up with the sun and making your coffee while everyone else is kind of ready to get on with their day. Yeah, man, I was up. My alarm went off at five forty five this morning, so it's it's Saturday, but it felt like a Monday. <laughs> well, Browns fans listening to the podcast admire your dedication to uh, a bunch of random dudes from schools that they barely understand playing <laughs> positions that. Uh, that, that at best they are taking third word uh, accounts of, of the talent of. But it's been, it's been a pretty fun couple days for me. Um, we talked about it before on the pre-draft uh, podcast, but it's been interesting to go into the draft without that like overwhelming sense of dread that comes along with most brands drafts. This has been a very chill couple weeks. I mean, it's just been laid back. Yep. It's been a, it's been a different, uh, different dynamic. For sure. Um, I think we're all a little bit surprised. I, I know I am for, you know, for one, that uh, Dorsey wasn't more aggressive. I think I appreciate what he did to secure Greedy. But other than that, he's been just letting the board fall to him, which is, is a good thing and a surprising thing at the same time. Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually also been surprised for it. Like every time I see the Browns on the ticker about five or six spots away, I begin to wonder if he's going to move. And, and besides a, a small trade up in round three, he stayed consistent. He, he stayed true to his board, and uh, and it's been it's been nice to see. He's trusting his uh, he's trusting his instincts, and he's he's going with that, and he's he's working with his board. Um, reviews of the draft thus far have been uh, mixed, but I feel like that's pretty consistent most years. That that Browns fans who follow the draft have you know twenty or thirty names that they are aware of that they're excited about, and when those names don't go, it just see it just kind of throws everyone for a loop. And I feel like so far through four rounds we're, we're in the fifth round right now um, as this uh, podcast is being recorded that's been pretty consistent and I think that it actually kind of mirrors how the overall draft has gone I think that for whatever reason in 2019 teams stayed closer to that like top 200 top 300 draft ranking than you usually see there wasn't a lot of off the wall crazy like we had this guy pegged as a sixth seventh rounder going in the second you know even even if there were some some surprise picks like Cleveland Farrell going number four overall um, for the most part, it seems like teams are picking good players. Um, there aren't uh, outside of uh, the New York Giants. There haven't been a lot of teams that have really surprised me with the guys that they picked. What's what's been your sense so far? Yeah, I I, I think I actually would disagree a, a little bit with that. I, I think there has been some surprise players for me. Day two, right off the bat, uh, Jelani Tavai from Hawaii got taken, and that was for, a big surprise. Yeah, that, that was that a big. Yeah, it was a big surprise for me. I think there were some others out there, but yeah, it's been. It's been an interesting draft the way things have, have played out. Lots of guys that I know a lot of, you know, quote-unquote analysts like ourselves really like that are still there. Like, for, for instance, we're still, you know, what, pick 13 or 14 on, in round five, and Charles Amenahu is still on the board. Um, there's a lot of guys that people were, you know, excited about that are still around. So it's, it's been interesting to see where the talent has kind of, you know, how it's played out. Um, and, and, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see – kind of what the guys that, that we got in the building are able to do because we got some we got some really good players yeah uh let's so let's get into it let's let's start talking about it um browns obviously uh were not involved in day one uh john dorsey had said that there was a good possibility they have three or four guys that should they have dropped to a specific spot they would have been a little bit more aggressive going after him everyone kind of believes uh simmons was one of them do you want to hazard any kind of guesses as to who else might have been on that short list of guys that, that Dorsey really was interested in? Or is it just is it just speculation at this point? Yeah, I think it's I think it's speculation aside from the Simmons guy. I mean, the, the Simmons pick. Uh, that was, you know, widely reported that, you know, Dorsey felt he was a top five guy off the field thing, obviously tumbled him down with the injury, but yeah, I that's the only real guy that I can think of um, off the top of my head without just purely speculating. Yeah. The only thing that we can say for absolute certain is that there wasn't a guy in Dorsey's shortlist that was a defensive back that would have got, caused him to jump up because um, he had the opportunity. He had the opportunity. I, mean, uh, I think there was only one cornerback. I think it was just 
DeAndre Baker that went in the first round. Um, yep. So so clearly there wasn't a cornerback that would have uh, that would have moved the needle for him. So so most likely we're looking at impact, uh, blue chipper franchise talent type of defensive ends, defensive tackles, or maybe uh, maybe an offensive tackle or two that, that could have been on that short list. But either way, um, you and I both uh, talked about how we admired Dorsey's uh, self control mm-hmm. <laughs> and that he he let the draft come to him, which. Feels like the first time in a long time that the Browns have just kind of stayed put with where they're at, and I, I appreciate that. So, so day two started. Um, what we saw coming out of day one is a ton of cornerbacks and safety still up on the board. Yeah, um, basically all of them. Um, they said, uh, I think Dane Brugler is saying that this is the first time in a really long time that a cornerback did not go in the top twenty-five picks. That that people waited until uh, at the end of round one, going into day two, to to make that selection, but. Round two really kicked off with a run of cornerbacks, and that made me nervous. I don't know how you felt, but I started to see the names jumping off the board. I started to see Murphy go, um, a couple others, and I said, oh, God, like I know this is a position of need. The Browns have not kept quiet their need for a cornerback. Um, so, so talk to me about your feelings going into that uh, round two pick. Yeah, I think we had all pegged defensive back safety as the, the targets for, you know, for that pick, and – looking at the stack of defensive backs who were there to start day two, it was pretty incredible. So, uh, you know, I definitely anticipated a run on, on that position. We saw that run on that position. And after the fact, you, you know, you heard Dorsey uh, in the press conference kind of, uh, you know, ex- say that exact same thing. You know, we expected that and we were surprised that Greedy was still there. And so we wanted to move up to make sure we secured him. I think he was actually trying to trade up six or 10 spots higher even something like that, six or eight spots higher to, to, to get greedy. I was absolutely floored that he was still there. I don't know what the knock is. I, I tweeted it yesterday that I want to – I'd love to understand the reason why he fell because as of like last year in, in November, I was tweeting, let's bring this guy in here and put him next to, to TJ – sorry, TJ Ward. Whew. Let's put him <laughs> next to, to, to Denzel Ward and, and let, let's just go because this guy is such a talented uh, defensive back. He's so fluid and fast. and. Um, I don't know why he fell. I'm going to have to investigate and figure out why, but he's a fantastic player and he's going to be absolutely just phenomenal paired uh, across from, from Ward. So I, I watched the draft with a, with two good friends, one of which is a Falcons fan and one of which is a Patriots fan. They are sec football college guys. Um, and they are diehard sec football fans. And they at least three to four times before that pick looked at me and said, why is greedy still on the board? Like he was the guy that they were just like, I don't understand this at all. Um, nope. It's it's a well publicized fact that that greedy is allergic to tackling. Um, a couple of the articles that have floated around before the draft talk about the reasoning behind that. That um, you know he almost walked away from football for a little while because um, you know uh, problems with this kid, and that that the NFL represented a life a, 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 a lifestyle for him that in, in which he could provide for his family, he could keep himself you know, put his, put his kid through college, all this kind of stuff. And that he took, he takes that responsibility very seriously. Um, and that may have led to some of the business decisions that we see on, on game film about him, uh, him coming up and filling and, and hitting. But one thing that is uh, also near universal, near, near universal consensus amongst draft dudes is that he's the best cover cornerback, not only in this draft, but in a couple drafts, um, yep. which was, which was something that, um, you know, we kind of heard about Denzel Ward, that, that, uh, that, that he was one of the stickier cornerbacks in recent memory. Uh, his coverage grade across two years of starting are nearly identical. Um, he is impossible to throw against. Uh, Jake Burns tweeted out a video that I think every Browns fan should watch, and it is what happened when DK Metcalf ran into Greedy Williams. And the answer was on 14 targets, I think that uh, Greedy came down, or I think that DK came down with three catches for like 35 yards on 14 right. targets. And that, for, that falls in line with over the last two years, if I'm not mistaken, I think the, the stat that I saw is he's only allowed a, a 40% completion um, when thrown at over the last two years combined. So yeah. that, that falls right in line with that. It's probably even better than that, than that stat. So to, to, to your point earlier, I mean, the best cover corner in, in the draft easily, um, phenomenal talent, lightning fast, can find the ball. And it's just going to be exciting to to watch him come up to Cleveland. It was funny I, <clears throat> when when you heard uh, Kitchens make the call. He's like, "All right, now can you play in the cold? All right, now you know you're going to need to tackle." So <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's funny that you know some of those things came up, but you know you don't pay your top 
defensive backs to tackle. You pay your top defensive backs to make plays on the ball and shut down the wide receivers. And, you know, you can coach them up on the rest. So that's, that's, that's what he's here for. That's what I'm excited about. And I'll, I'll let the tackling thing take care of itself. Yeah. I mean, yeah, me too. And I will say underrated portion of the acquisition is that Greedy's got some swag. Like Greedy fits in very nicely with some of the, the characters and personalities that they've brought in this year. Um, he's not going to be quiet. And he is going to play with the same kind of passion that you see out of dudes like Landry and OBJ. Um, and that's, that's going to be fun. Uh, yeah. I will say training camp is going to get chippy. Because if yeah. they thought that Terrence Mitchell was a pain in the ass last year, wait. <laughs> they get a lot worse this year. A lot well, I mean, worse. It's the, it's the anti-Shermer, anti-Gettleman pick. We've got lots of swag. And, I mean, I think what's the, the first thing he said when he got on the phone with Zagura is, you know, we're going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, so. immediately off the top. He's like, yeah, this team, like, I'm here to help this team. We're going to the Super Not like I'm going to do my best. I'm going to give 110%. Like, I'm here to just be a team player, do whatever the coaches need. He's like, no, I'm great. You know I'm great. Like, we're going to the Super Bowl. And I, I'm here for that. I love it. I love it. I love it, man. Let's do the, it. Uh, yeah, the, the Patriots fan during the, the draft pick looked at and was just like, it's either – like, the Browns either this year are going to be spectacular – or it's going to come apart spectacularly, but there's no more room for mediocrity in Cleveland. Like it is going to be a lot. It's going to be extra. It's going to be fun. Um, this team has a lot of firepower and a lot of juice and a lot of passion. And I think that um, it's going to feed off of each other and it's going to be really fun. And he's, he's a big part of that. Um, and that doesn't stop that, that kind of folds into the next pick. Why don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit about Takataki? Yeah. I mean, I, I, to be completely honest, I, I did not, scout Tataki Taki um, just because of his name. It's just really hard to say. <laughs> <clears throat> Kidding aside, it's a really easy name to say for me being out here in Hawaii. But yeah, I, I hadn't scouted him. I hadn't watched any of his film. And so I was a little bit hesitant to get excited or to get e- either way on the spectrum, right? Especially with my, my boy, Kalen Saunders still there on the board. Yeah. Um, he, went, he went four picks after us. So it was just sort of a devastating personal blow for me. However, when I did go to the film last night, um, I was just completely impressed. Uh, and then when I coupled that with, I think Pete Smith put out his uh, market share numbers last night, it's, it's incredible. I mean, what he was able to do, not, not only from the linebacker position, but also from the, uh, the defensive end position, you know, two, two different positions on the field, he was able to produce at an elite level. And mm. when, you, when you watch him play, he's always, he's always in the right gap. He, he's He's always like a heat-seeking missile to the ball. He, he's, he finds a way to make a play. And, you know, he's just – he's very athletic. He's very fast. Yeah. And he's able to bring the hammer. So I think what you're going to find is just a really aggressive, really badass type of linebacker uh, who's going to come in. He's going to challenge Kirksey for a starting position. Um, if anything, he might kind of uh, kind of push Schobert off to the side in terms of the, the alignment and the linebacker role. And he's going to give us – uh, a player who can, again, who can produce and, and bring a lot of energy in the middle of the field and also probably do some great things on special teams. So I'm really excited about the pick to, to see where, you know, kind of how he plays out and reading some of the articles and some of the takes and some of the, the, the things that well-respected people have said about this guy. I, I think we got a really good player. Yeah. And I like that he played, um, he was versatile. He played some Will, he played some Mike. Yeah. Um, for, for the uh, football casuals out there, it just means he's playing different linebacker arrangements. Like you said, they brought him down to play off the edge. And that's a weird defense that they run at yeah. BYU. Um, it wasn't exactly a, a, a setup for success. So if, if, the, if not always being the most fundamentally sound are, are to be believed, um, a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that they've got him playing multiple spots all over the field and that sticking him in a place where he can be consistent and where he can get used to his role is only going to make him better. Um, he is a 90th percentile spark athlete, as I remember, which is a, a theme of the, the Depot Browns. Like, they tend to love these, these sparky yep. guys. Um, and I think that it'll be fun to watch. I'm hoping – I'm still personally hoping that they bring in Zach Brown uh, in free agency. I, I know that it's, it's kind of a surprise to everyone that he's still out there on the wire. But I would like to see them have, you know, those three guys as their uh, presumptive starters and let Taki Taki focus – out of the gate on special teams and also figure out where his best fit in the league is. Let him play a couple different spots in training camp to figure out where his long-term home is going to be. Yep. 
And I, I think what you're seeing to, to your point about the spark rating and all that stuff, you know, the, the Browns have identified that they need to get faster on defense. And then when you couple that with the, a lot of the picks this weekend from our, uh, our division foes, we're going to need to. Um, and so this is a, uh, this is a good sign. I think across the board, all the players that, that, that we're getting have speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, 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 so far the draft is falling to us in, in a very good way. And I'm excited about our, our, our results. Yeah. And then, and, and I know where you're going with the speed and the division rivals, because what Baltimore is doing is shockingly stark as far as their yeah. offensive skill talent. And I saw a couple of people say that Taki Taki may just be like, they may be drafting him under the anticipation that they're going to have to deal with Lamar Jackson for the next two or three years. And you're going to yep. need sideline to sideline guys at all three linebacker positions if you're going to contain him. Yep. And you know what, man, I, I, I'm getting really tired of people downplaying Lamar Jackson. I mean, I know that he hasn't been, at least his rookie season wasn't the most prolific as a passer, but if you're, if you're assuming that the man isn't going to improve with all these new weapons, I, I think that you're being foolhardy. And I think he's a very talented quarterback, and I think he's only going to get better. I know we identified in our podcast maybe a year and a half ago now that I, I really felt that he relied on the middle of the field and not to the outside. So it's going to be interesting to see how he progresses this year. Mm-hmm. But I just, I'm getting really tired of fans saying that he's just a running quarterback. He is, and he's going to force defenses to, to adjust to that. But mm-hmm. he can definitely throw the ball. And when you get a guy like Hollywood Brown or you get a guy like uh, Miles Boykin in there running slants, run, running quick, quick things that, you know, are going to open up yard after catch uh, ability, it's, it's, it's something to be concerned about. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and that is exactly, and, 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 you know, he did throw a lot in the middle of the field in college, but when I did my draft write up for Lamar and it was long and it was lengthy and I looked at every snap that dude played, um, he wasn't a running quarterback the way we think about running quarterbacks in college these days in which like the entire offense built around like spread gimmicks. Like he played, he played in a Petrino offense in which he ran the ball plenty and he ran the ball plenty on design keepers, but he also executed a lot of pro style concepts. He was thrown to all levels. And he's thrown to receivers that didn't get a lot of separation. Like Louisville's uh, receivers had some of the lowest separation rates in college football um, when he was there. Um, so he kind of stepped into the same problem with the Ravens last year in that outside of John Brown, they had a lot of guys long in the tooth who were not playmakers. And so they played to their strengths. They played to their strengths in front of a defense that um, didn't need them to put up a lot of points and just tried to limit turnovers and flip the field and play with short positions with the best kicker in football. You know what? It worked. And people – think that their offense is going to be the same this year. And I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that um, it's not short odds for him to become one of the best passing quarterbacks in the league, but to rule it out at this stage is just kind of foolish to me. And, and the Ravens did what they had to do to support him. They, they brought in the kind of talent that they're going to need to, to, to make him look good. Agreed. Agreed. So, but all that aside, Browns took Taki Taki in the third round. Um, people got upset in large parts because of what you're describing. There was a lot of really fun names on the board. I, th- I think that they got more mad about the name, rec- name recognition of the guys who didn't go uh, in that third round. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about who, uh, who just went at 155? Because I can see the look on your face. You got some feelings about it. Mac Wilson, yeah. Alabama. Mac, yeah, Mac Wilson. We just grabbed another linebacker. So that's interesting. Um, yeah, we, we, I mean, we'll cover that a little bit more uh, after the break but was not the direction I was expecting to go was not the <laughs> player I was expecting to get. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to dig into him a little bit more because I, I, I wasn't as impressed with him as, uh, as I think some were leading into the process. So, so wrapping back to uh, round four, round four kicks off and the Browns go with a, a colorful player, out of Miami in uh, Redwine. Do you want to talk a little bit about Redwine? Because I know this is a dude that you did scout extensively. Yeah, it was, it, it's kind of crazy. I, I couldn't believe, so I sent out a tweet in the beginning of April and I mentioned, okay, so if we're going to target a, a, a safety in, in day three and we pass on or we miss on guys like Savage, Hooker, Willis, um, or sorry, and, and uh, who was the other guy? Um, Marquise Blair all who went a lot earlier than I thought I I had identified that I thought red wine would be a great fit. Uh, He's again, another sparky type athlete, explosive, fast. Um, His size is a little undersized, but you know, you get him in the the NFL weight program. I think that takes care of that. Uh, He's a good tackler. I mean, 7% market share this year. 
his ball skills are there, but he doesn't necessarily convert them all the time to production. I think his junior year, he had six pass breakups with three interceptions. I think this year he had three interceptions as well. So it's not, he's not a market share interception guy, but he's definitely able to find the ball and make plays on the ball. I think with coaching, you're going to find a guy who can play either uh, free safety or strong safety uh, eventually. But I think his role as he comes in right away is going to be that uh, in-the-box type of safety who's going to replace Jabril Peppers. And he's going to be able to, you know, to, to really bring some swagger to the defense uh, from that position. So, Yeah, speaking, like he is, for those who don't know, and I'm sure most people do at this point, like he is the turnover chain guy. He is the Miami guy who kind of was at the center of all of the turnover chain nonsense, fun, excitement, however you want to phrase it. I thought it was fun personally. I thought it was a different gimmick. I love that they rallied behind it, and and for a hot minute when um, Miami was really feeling themselves, uh, he was kind of at the center of that. Like you said, he brings brings a swagger and a confidence to the game. I I think it's interesting that you said that he's eventually going to be the best fit um, for the Browns as a strong safety. That is a uh, hotly debated topic right now, uh, and one that I don't think will be resolved until training camp. I think that um, he has the athleticism to be able to play free safety. Um, but I do think that he is the kind of – I personally agree with you that I think that he is the kind of strong safety that the league is choosing to go towards where um, you're a little bit more scheme flexible. You can play him deep. You can bring him up into the box. Um, he's got some experience playing cornerback, so you can bring him into the nickel spot, um, and you hope that he can uh, be able to cover up against tight ends, which is something that basically for decades the Browns have struggled with. So um, yep. I, think that, I think that his flexibility is an enormous part of why they went after him because – that was something that Jabril Peppers brought to the table that was, that was really good, and that was uh, hard-earned. Uh, Jabril Peppers didn't have that kind of flexibility coming out. He had to learn that in his uh, rookie year uh, for Greg Williams playing free safety. Um, so he was he, – a big part of the Browns' pass defense last year revolved around his ability to cover tight ends and, and kind of be scheme independent. So I'm hoping that uh, Red Wine could eventually step into that kind of role. And I honestly don't have uh, high hopes for uh, Burnett sticking around more than more than mm-hmm. a year or so, if at all. So they do need to throw some talent at that position in, in concurrent drafts. I'm actually surprised that he's the only one that they've brought in so far. Yeah, I mean, well, we got Murray too, and then we've got Burnett, and now we've got Redwine. And I think the theme that we're seeing is you're bringing in guys who are going to compete and not just be handed jobs. And I, we've, we talked about that extensively on, on the podcast here. And I think this is another situation just like that. You're going to bring in red wine and you're going to say, okay, let the best guy go win. Same thing with Terrence, Terrence Mitchell and, and Greedy Williams. You're going to say, okay, go, you know, go, go compete and the best guy win. And I think I know who I, you know, who I expect to win that battle. Uh, yeah. red, but this battle with red wine and, and the guys at strong safety will be interesting. It's a, it's a safety blanket. He's not ready. We've got the other guys to fall back on. Maybe he's ready by, you know, week four, week six to really start contributing more. Uh, maybe it's next year, but either way, we've got that safety blanket, and we don't have to uh, to worry if someone goes down, right? So that's a that's a key position to be in. Did you just, did you just use the term safety blanket about safeties? I did. That's very meta that's, of you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah, I didn't even <laughs> know I did it. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. So, so that's day two <laughs> for the Browns. Um, we're going to take a break here. Um, the, the expectation is that the Browns on uh, day three are really going to invest some time and energy um, in uh, offensive tackle and, and safety positions. But I guess we'll see. We'll, we'll talk about that uh, after the break. Welcome back to the This Believe Land is Your Land podcast. Um, in the break, I pulled an old switcheroo, and we are now joined by my other first ass co-host, John Colosimo. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I'm actually glad that John's here for the second part of this podcast because we're going to discuss uh, day three and day three is where John gets a chance to shine. Cause this is where all of his, I name knowledge of the most random uh, players in college football really breaks out. I promise you that amongst all of the people that I know on, uh, on the internet, John and Mike are the two most well-versed in these, in, in the most random of players. So we're going to get lots of thoughts here today. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the day three picks of which the Browns actually made four, which is probably more than I expected them to make. Um, and then we're going to talk about the draft and what we what we learned from the draft um, and what we can expect to ne- what we can expect to glean from from two now that Dorsey's had him under his belt and maybe what he's going to do in the future. So so moving into the moving into round four, uh, the Browns started with Miami safety Sheldrick Redwine. I didn't know it at the time of the selection, but Sheldrick Redwine is the guy, right? Like he is the 
uh, the noise and the sound behind Miami's uh, turnover chain movement. Is that right? That's correct. He is the turnover chain guy. <laughs> um, if you had told me before the draft that we had drafted the turnover chain guy, I would have expected a lot of hype and a lot of swag and a little less substance. Is that, um, is that basically sum up the Sheldon, Sheldrick Redwine experience? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, you know, he's got a uh, decent production and he's got a good athletic profile. Um, he's got some holes in his game. Um, you know, I think my heartburn on this is, you know, it feels kind of like another Miami special coming from Highsmith. Um, you know, there was a guy that I wanted, I would, I would have been fine taking him in round two in Amani Hooker, um, you know, as a safety who I thought was much better, who was taken just a couple picks before that. Yeah, I saw that you were kind of bummed when he came off the board. That was somebody that you, I know, had uh, had some interest in. He, he stuck around for a little bit. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of guys that ended up sticking around for a lot longer, just in general, out of this whole draft. You know, when we get to the, you know, the fifth round pick, there's, you know, guys that people thought were going to be there, uh, you know, or be gone day two, but at the latest, you know, mm-hmm. and here they are, you know, mid to late day three. You know, so it was just a, it was an odd draft and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, where the NFL seemingly had lower opinions than draft Twitter, I guess. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like uh, the poster boy for that was uh, uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, who everyone had kind of pegged it at, at least a day two talent. And, and he was hanging around at the beginning of day three, too. It seemed like if you wanted to wait on safeties, there was a lot of guys available and I wonder if um, this was the guy that they had wanted all along because of his testing profile, which, as you said, like athletically, he jumps off the board, or if this is more of the Alonzo Highsmith connection to Miami, which I'm starting to see a little bit of the grumbling about that we seem to have an overly fond interest in, in players coming out of the U these days, which uh, I, I personally uh, can feel the why, why, why fans would have angst about it. Right. I mean, honestly, it's, it's small sample size. And to be fair to uh, to be fair to Redwine, he has a much better profile, uh, you know, data and athletically and production. Then uh, this is not a Chad Thomas in that regard. <laughs> so don't get me wrong, Chad Thomas was like a zero point zero pick. Yeah. This one is is not that. There is potential there. It my more of my heartburn comes from the players that were taken just before and some of the players that were taken after um, who I thought were much better selections. Yeah. I did see you and Mike immediately upon the pick, um, not rushed to, but, but very clearly state that this is not another Chad Thomas situation. This is not a guy who's going to provide zero value going forward and is going to kind of be an embarrassment on the roster. This is a guy who uh, has something to prove. Um, and what he's going to have to prove very quickly, I think to a lot of Browns fans is where he's going to play. Um, he's a guy that athletically profiles as a free safety, but I know Mike specifically felt like he was going to be a better fit for this team as a strong safety that has a little bit of positional flexibility. Is that kind of where you're at with this? Yeah. I I mean, honestly, I don't think he has the coverage skills to play free safety. He's got the athleticism, but I think that that is rooted in his, his weaknesses as a player being in coverage. And I think that's, that's where Mike is right. That, uh, he's much better suited with a more limited role and coverage at strong safety. Yeah. I'm with you on that. So here's hoping, here's hoping that um, he is able to replicate what the Browns got out of peppers, which was a guy who could lay the wood, who was a sure tackler coming downfield, but also was athletic enough to run with tight ends and to, to cover people when necessary. And what that created for the 2018 Browns, which you wouldn't know based on the numbers because the, the Browns in 2018 had some terrible defensive metrics, but um, they did have some positional flexibility that came from having two good safeties who could cover a little bit. So, so here's hoping that um, at least as the year progresses, um, we're able to get that out of red wine, but I don't think that he's going to be playing early anyway. I think that um, they're committed to uh, Burnett and to Randall starting the year. So he'll provide depth. He's already said off the top, like he's going to provide value at uh, special teams, which is a theme that I've seen with a lot of these guys. And so uh, that's, that's what I'm hoping to get out of him. It's just depth at the position, somebody who can learn as they go, and somebody who uh, flashes and can come along slowly. Because that's, And I said this during the first part of the segment, that's what the Steelers and the Ravens have been doing for years. They've been bringing in these kind of guys, and over the course of a year or two, getting them up to speed, getting them comfortable in the system, and then seeing what they can provide from a scrimmage snap standpoint. So if, if we don't see uh, Redwine accepting spot duty this year, going forward, then it'll be, it'll be a good sign. It'll mean that the 
the safeties that are on the squad are doing their jobs. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. I, I still am a little disappointed. I think we could have gotten a little bit more of a, a immediate contributor, but I agree that uh, it is what it is. And hopefully he's a special team ace. We can use him. You know, that's a place you can make an impact on this team, you know, so. Yeah. And that is something that most of these picks have in common. I'm not even going to belabor the point, but um, most of these picks are projected to be immediate special teams contributors, which is something that this team has needed. And it's because a lot of the times they're, they weren't able to sort out the difference in the talent between guys who were starting guys who were on special teams. So you had a lot of special teams players that were uh, trying to make the roster as more of a scrimmage type player. And they were, they may have been over committing a little bit and over and, and, uh, extending themselves a little bit instead of just doing their job and practicing on special teams like you'd expect for these guys. So I do expect that some of these guys are going to be immediate special teams contributors and red wine does profile as one of those. Um, moving to the next pick uh, at 155. So early in the fifth round, the Browns selected Mac Wilson. I don't think the Browns selected somebody yesterday or, or uh, over the course of the, the first three days of this draft, really, that was as controversial as Mac Wilson is. Um, what I'll say quickly before I get your take on it, because I know you have a lot of thoughts on, on Mac is that Mac is 21 years old. And I don't even think he turns 22 before the season starts. I want to believe that um, he's a guy that's ascending. And that is what I hear from, from uh, fans of the Alabama program and uh, fans of Mac Wilson, is that he's a guy that um, Alabama guys were, were bummed to see go, that he got better as the year went on. His 2018 tape is much better than anything they'd seen before it, and that they think that he can continue to grow and progress, which is kind of what you want out of a late-round pick. You want a guy who can get better. Um, what are your thoughts on Mac? So, yeah, I mean, Mac Wilson, there are people out there that really like him. And he did have a couple of okay stats, I think, that PFF had for him in coverage. For me, what it comes down to is, you know, the guys playing inside linebacker at Alabama had 30 solo tackles. That's not great. That is not good. <laughs> not great. <laughs> <laughs> not great, Bob. And, you know, <laughs> He's pairing that with a very, very average athletic profile. Now, I'm one person who thinks that, you know, you actually don't have to, you know, be the world's greatest athlete to play linebacker. I think it's one of the few positions in the NFL I think you can get by uh, on good instincts and, uh, and diagnosis and, and that kind of stuff. So <clears throat> that isn't like a killer. But when you add the two, you know, I think it's, it's, it's asking a lot to project that into – these things where some people, you know, have sky high opinions that I just don't understand um, yeah. about Mac, Mac Wilson. And, you know, again, adding salt to the wound is to have a guy like Blake Cashman go to the Jets two picks later, a guy who is through the roof athletically produced at an extremely high level of Minnesota. Uh, you know, just the polar opposite of Mac Wilson when it comes to that, that kind of profile. And, I don't understand it. You know, I, I, we'll see how it goes. Like you said, you know, a lot of people are going to say that, I mean, these, these picks and it's true rarely pan out, you know, these day three picks, they're lottery mm-hmm. tickets and you know you can't count on them for anything, but that doesn't mean that you want to make suboptimal choices on your lottery tickets even. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you, you yeah, might you know, as well take your best bets. Yeah, at least uh, at least pick a lottery ticket with a bunch of different numbers. Don't pick a lottery, a lottery ticket with the same numbers or sequence of numbers. I think it's interesting that that Wilson and Takitaki got drafted in the same draft class and could not be more polarizingly different t- prospects. Um, Takitaki is a guy who moved around to multiple linebacking positions um, and and had production to go at each one of them. And he's a little all over the place and he flies around and he makes a lot of mistakes. But um, one thing that I agree with Jake Burns when he said is that Takitaki. Um, got himself involved in plays that he shouldn't have had any business getting involved in because of his athletic profile. Cause he just, he's everywhere and that he showed up where normally he wouldn't be expected to show up versus Wilson, who you would have liked to have seen um, show up, at least show up in more plays um, and not just be a, a, a bystander. And that doesn't mean that he didn't do his job. Like I said, he was, he was considered a good fit on that Alabama defense a nasty Alabama defense, but um, I just think it's ironic that they managed to draft two dudes who are at complete opposite ends of the spectrum in uh, production and athletic testing. No, that's a really good point. That's a good point, and it's, it's part of the confusion, I think, when it comes to looking at you know this draft class and last draft classes, that there really isn't necessarily a discernible plan that you can see or you know where you can see what they were going for. And, and you're pointing out probably the, the most glaring example of that, two rounds – 
two different players, and you're just not seeing, I don't think, a, a cohesive plan for the specific type of player that they're going for. At least, I'm not saying it's not there, but I don't see it. It's a small sample size at this point. But, you know, I think that you, you were right mm-hmm. to highlight that. And I think it's interesting that if we think back to the 2015 Browns draft, the first one, 2015 was the first one with Sashi Brown, Six, right? 16. 16. When uh, every single pick kind of had the same profile. You were yep. looking at guys like Joe Schobert, uh, guys like uh, Emmanuel Ogba, guys like Corey Coleman, that while they didn't have explosive production numbers, and they had good production numbers, it's not like explosive production numbers, they were all incredibly explosive athletes. They were all diamonds in the rough that they thought, like, if you played from day one and got them some experience, you'd get them to overplay, outplay their draft position just because of their raw talent. At least that was the theme that you saw one through seven in the way that they picked up draft picks. Almost all their guys were athletes. And the ones that weren't athletes, guys like Deshaun Kaiser, you can kind of understand why and who pulled the trigger on that. I wonder if we see some of the same thing going on with Brown's front office in that you still have a lot of people who are relying on the analytical data, the production data, uh, married up with the athletic testing, and then you have some gut check. This just feels like a good one to me. And, and that's how you end up with the Chad Thomas. That's how you end up with the Mac Wilson. Um, but I agree with you. It doesn't seem like there's an, an awful lot of uh, cohesion or at least an awful lot of similarities between the different draft picks. Yeah, I agree. Um, um, next up, uh, the Browns kind of shocked the world. And in the same round that we saw, or I believe it was in the same round, that we saw the Patriots take a punter. I guess that was round five, and the Browns' uh, Siebert was in round uh, – uh, the punter was in round four, and, and the yeah. kicker was in round five. But we started to see what must speak to a kind of dearth of talent because the Browns went ahead and, and drafted a, a kicker and not the last round of the draft. They, they kind of pulled the trigger earlier on the guy who broke Zane Gonzalez's uh, all-time scoring record and was the leading scorer for the Oklahoma Sooner football program. I know uh, Baker Mayfield was excited to see him come on and issued a, a, a welcome to him the same way that uh, OBJ and, and Landry were greeting Greedy Williams, which was fun to see. But um, I, I, just can't, I just can't understand, A, wasting a draft pick at all on a kicker, and B specifically wasting one that's this early. Yep. No, I agree. I don't, I don't really um, believe in picking kickers. I mean, once you get to the, the seventh round, sure. Because, you know, that's a real, real uh, lottery ticket at that point. And if you just yeah. want to secure him rather than having him choose your team uh, as a UDFA, then I can understand that. But as a fifth round pick, uh, you know, I just, uh, yeah. oh, whatever. And also, like, and I, and I don't know how you approach this, but when I see the Browns draft a kicker, I just immediately hear, like, the wailing unwashed masses on Twitter complaining because kickers take some time as rookies to, to get you comfortable. Like, it's very much a high-pressure situation, and you're not going to find out immediately whether or not they can do it. And I think back on Aguayo when he was at um, Tampa Bay, how he flamed out so quickly. I think of Mike Nugent when he got drafted um, and how rough his, his first year or two in the league were until he got comfortable. And this is just not a team that's going to have a high tolerance for a using a draft pick on a kicker and B not having that kicker be ready. I mean, uh, look what they, look what happened with Zane Gonzalez with that yeah. mess, you know, well, whether or not he was injured and you know, those types of things. I mean, that was a, that was a mess of a situation. It was, and it was a mess of a situation that cost the Browns actual wins. It wasn't a Cody Parkey situation. But it was almost kind of exacerbated because the team doesn't win all that much already. And then on top of that, they were losing because of stupid picking reasons. And that New Orleans Saints game, um, I can still look back on my, like, health data for my phone, like my Fitbit data, and look at my blood pressure during that game. And I I promise you, everybody that was at the wedding after party that I was at while that game was being played thought I was going to actually have a stroke. Watching the (laughs) colors that my face turned – watching, uh, you know, extra points bang off and, and you know, uh, chip shot, field goals miss. It was just – it was obnoxious. And you know that's coming. I hope I'm wrong, but we'll remember this podcast when he misses his first kick of the season. We're just like, this is why you just go out and get a Dan Bailey type. You get a, a reliable vet that as you are looking to kind of break in a respectability, you don't have to worry about the kicking game to that level. Like, even if you use him like they used a Greg Joseph, even if you only use him – uh, for more, uh, you know, inside the 50-yard line. You don't use them for any long kicks or pressure situations. You go for it more in fourth down, which I know you're a fan of anyway. Like, it's just – I don't love having a rookie in this situation, and I guess that's just me. Well, and when you're, when you're going to take them on the fifth as well, like, first, college production just doesn't necessarily translate all that well with kickers. Yeah. I mean, I never have or don't think I ever will see a better kicker 
then um, uh, the Bengals had him for years. Mike um, Nugent. Nugent. Yeah, Mike yeah, Nugent was the best college kicker I have ever seen. The yeah, he's great. Could not have been more money. I mean, I still, I still, bucks, no problem. Yeah, I still distinctly remember that walk off. I think it was like a 55, 60 yarder that he kicked against Marshall in a game that, um, whatever, I, it might not have been Marshall. I'm sure one of our seven listeners will correct me, but um, it was definitely a nobody school. I think it was Marshall. Um, and, and he ended up kicking the game winner like ice, ice water in his veins, just cold blooded, made everything and, and did it with swag too. And like you said, and immediately went to the league. And I remember, I think he got drafted by, did he get drafted by the Jets or the Bengals? No, I think he was with the Bengals. I think he got drafted there. But I mean, yeah. even, even he, he got comfortable eventually, but he was never anything close to the guy he was in college. The, that lot, He was never, uh, you know, uh, Sebastian Janikowski or Stephen Goskowski or Adam Vinatieri type in the NFL, so, even when he got comfortable. So what happened, he got drafted by the Jets. And he was, oh, really? he got, yeah, he got drafted relatively early. I don't remember what round, but I, I know he got drafted by the Jets. And he was, he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't, oh my God, we spent a draft pick on you that could have gone to a real player. No offense to kickers. We could have spent that pick on a, on a contributor, a scrimmage contributor. And instead you're out here just cocking it up. And it's, and it made fans insane. And then he left and he went to Cincinnati. We know what happened. He was a, a very reliable upper tier. He was all right. He was an upper, like, he was a top 18 kicker in the league. Like, sure. he wasn't a guy. Yeah, sure. yeah, he wasn't like a Goskowski, like an automatic kicker. Like, he wasn't even a 42-year-old Adam Vinatieri or however old he was this last season. But he was, he was reliable. Like, he was a guy that Cleveland fans would love to have. Like, we'd love to have a B-minus B kicker at some point. Like, we've had a bottom five kicker forever. And I just I, – like, I don't love the idea of relying on a rookie to, to bring you out of that. Well, and, and I guess, like, one, my, my real point here is that once you take a guy – with a fifth round pick, which is pretty high for a kicker. I mean, if I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but that's pretty high for a kicker. Um, once you take that guy, imagine a scenario where you have three kickers because we'll bring in an extra UDFA. Mm-hmm. And that UDFA is better than your fifth round pick, but you keep your fifth round pick anyway. Yeah. Like I can see that setting up and then he goes to some other team and he has a good season and, and not even just a UDFA, a free agent of, of some kind, you know what I mean? Of, uh, and then you keep your fifth round and he bombs out. I mean, it just, I, I see it like setting up a terrible thing. And that's kind of why I don't like drafting kickers because I feel like you're just, you just want to bring in a couple of the, if you don't have the guy that you want to keep for a long term, mm-hmm. then I'd rather just bring in three guys and let them battle it out. Yeah. I hear you. Um, I'm going to give you a couple names right off the list of kickers in the draft position. And we'll, like, I'm sure nobody cares about this, but it'll be, we'll, we'll get through this quickly. Um, here are kickers that were drafted with a fifth round spot or earlier in the draft. And tell me, make a noise when you hear a name that you recognize. J.K. Scott, Johnny Townsend, Jake Elliott. Uh, yeah. Jets? Uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Okay. Uh, Robert Aguayo. We're all very familiar with him, unfortunately, with a second rounder. Uh, Bradley Pinion. Jeff Locke. Sam Martin, I, I, the point remains, here's a bunch of guys that got drafted in fifth round, and there's also a bunch of dudes that got drafted in the sixth, seventh round and undrafted that are still in the league. Greg Zerline was a sixth-round pick. Blair Walsh was a sixth-round pick. Dustin Hopkins was sixth. And, and a whole score of others that, that never got drafted to begin with. So you don't need to, you don't, you don't need to spend a fifth-round pick. And there's, no, there's absolutely no correlation to where the kicker was drafted and whether they were successful or not. This has been a well-documented thing. I don't really care that the Browns spent this pick. I just care that um, now they're going to expect a certain level of success to him. They're going to be married to him, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on him in, in what is going to be a, a very pressure-packed uh, season schedule um, to perform and perform immediately, and I, I, I don't like that. So um, after they got done taking a kicker, I almost didn't care who came after that because I was like, clearly your big board is, is over. Like You don't have anybody else on the big board. The rest of these guys are just going to be shots in the dark. Um, with the 189th pick, the Browns drafted Drew Forbes of Southeast Missouri State. This was the time of the draft in which a lot of these schools were, like, uh, borderline made up. Like, I wasn't even – like, I couldn't, with ten guesses, tell you what conference they were in. Um, <laughs> but they said that this was a guy who um, kind of matched that earlier profile. He was one of the more athletic uh, linemen available in the draft. Um, and, but they're not sure where he's going to play. I guess, like, he's bounced back and forth between the two of them. Do you know anything about Drew Forbes? 
Uh, I looked up a little bit. You know, what I know is that he's a good athlete, which is is a good thing. It's actually a good thing. It does actually matter. A lot of people think athleticism doesn't matter with linemen, but it does. Um, you know, the sad part of it is, is that, and I know that I'm I'm pretty negative, I guess, on this on this third day overall when it comes to the Browns. But this is probably my favorite pick of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Was it? Yeah, and I, that's part of it is because uh, you know relying on having a good offensive line coach now that's uh, true. versus having Wiley. We have a, a very good coach with a long history of development when it comes to lower picks. Uh, you know, the guy uh, it looks like a good ball of clay to mold, and uh, you know it probably speaks more to how I feel about the rest of the day three picks mm-hmm. than it does him. But yes, he's probably my favorite pick of the pick. I mean, we knew that there was going to be a developmental lineman or two picked. Um, we might get somebody off of somebody else's squad here. Like, we, they may have gone into this draft knowing, like, hey, we're going to pick up one or two that get cut from other teams that we love. Like, we, we've gotten Campin's top ten list of players around the league that he thinks might be available that he could work with. Um, either way, the Browns don't have a glaring need for starters. They're going to roll with the same five that they ended last year with. Um, and they've got some okay depth there already. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if they can work with this guy over the course of a couple of years. If he sticks around um, into next season, then we know that he's a developmental guy and wasn't just a shot in the dark. Um, so it'll be interesting. The guy that I was really bummed out that they didn't pick up was Yandi uh, Kajus, who, who fell a little bit later in the draft than I expected. And when the Patriots pulled the trigger on him, I wanted to uh, throw myself off a balcony that I was standing on because I was watching the draft with a Patriots fan friend, and he's – uh, he's like, who? And I'm like, this is a guy that all the guys in Brown's Twitter lusted over for like three months. This is like a guy who showed up in 90% of the mock drafts around here. And he's just chilling. Here <laughs> just chilling. And instead we're grabbing uh, Sheldrick Redwine and doing all kinds of other fun things. The third round is going to be a, a real fun one for us in retrospect. But um, True. On, I'm glad that you're excited about him. I'm actually a little bit more excited in him now knowing that you, you're in on him. So, so that'll be cool to watch. Um, the Browns closed out the draft in the seventh round by picking Donnie Lewis Jr. I will say I was excited about this pick because uh, he went to Tulane, and this is uh, my wife's alma mater. I play uh, for all of the Tulane Capital Alumni sports. Like, I'm a huge Tulane guy. I probably watch more Tulane football than people should um, just because, like, guys get together and get hyped for Tulane games. And I will say that over the last couple of years, they've been a lot more competitive than they had in the storied history of the program. So. Um, it's also a cool field. Um, it's a fun place to go catch a ball game. So it was neat that they called a name that I, at least like anecdotally, I knew who he was. What are your thoughts on a uh, old Donnie? Uh, a lack of information, to be honest, you know, he got injured. So we, we didn't get the athletic data. I've got nothing as far as uh, when it came to him, you know, um, I'm, I'm rooting for him, but there just wasn't enough information to me for me to really um, have a rock solid opinion one way or the other. Yeah, it's fun. If, if you want a fun time, go look at the Browns four deep and look at the names at cornerback. Honestly, there's four or five guys that I've never even heard of. Um, and that shows you how, like, how great this offseason has been, is that we're so excited about the big-name players that are coming in that I could give a shit who the four deep is at cornerback. But at some point, some of these guys are going to have to uh, stick around because I don't think that um, Terrence Mitchell or TJ Carey are going to last beyond the season. So – whether it's this year or next year, the Browns are going to have to beef up their depth at that position. But the good news is they've got uh, three or four starters there already. So it's not going to be a, a huge position of emphasis. If somebody does stick and play meaningful minutes, it'll mean uh, somebody was either really great or something went horribly wrong. So, um, yeah. so all that being said, seven rounds, Browns took their guys. For the most part, they didn't move around an awful lot. Uh, they didn't give up any picks, and they didn't acquire future picks. What was your take overall on the draft? Uh, well, so just in terms of what they did on draft weekend, you know, if I'm going to leave the um, – we've already talked plenty about how we all feel about having OBJ come to the team, so I'm going to leave that out of it. In terms of just what they did, you know, the, the top two picks are going to matter the most. Those are your high – you know, those are your high percentage guys anyway. I do like those guys on day two. Uh, I think that um, especially if, if we're playing a lot more man than uh, we originally thought with Steve Wilkes coming in, uh, then I think that's a great pair and a great pick uh, with Greedy. So, you know, those are two nice ones. I'm pretty unhappy with what happened afterwards. Uh, you know, the my main gripe probably more than anything else is that we – 
we overworked the shit out of our defensive line last year. And we enter one of the drafts with the deepest defensive lines that I can recall ever. And we exited it without a single one. So, you know, that's, that's just seems like bad business. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm being honest, I'm not going above a C, you know, on this. I, I just, you know, just based on something like that shows a lack of, in my opinion, you know, understanding about what a weakness is, uh, you know, one of the weaknesses that we had on this team and we left this whole off season with, with that weakness. And I don't yeah. think we had to. Um, so uh, I'm going to give him a C. Yeah. And you're stealing my thunder a little bit. That was the one thing that I kept coming back to is like, look, not only is this a great draft up front for defensive line talent, you saw that in the first round, they felt like every other pick was a defensive lineman of some sort, but it was deep throughout. And there were positions later on in the draft where there were guys that were just hanging out. Um, and then I think was there in the fifth round. Yeah, exactly. And the Browns just didn't seem to have any interest in it. Um, and as you said, this is a defensive line that if somebody goes down, I like, I like uh, Smith more than most, um, Chris Smith. I thought he played really well. I think he'll play even better with more talent up and down the line. And his positional flexibility, the fact that he can play inside and out, really helps you with depth. And they're obviously going to play a lot of sub packages where they bring Avery down. They play him along the line. Like, he'll be another edge rusher. They'll be able to bring Taki Taki up the, the edge as a rusher, too. Like, he's got some experience playing uh, both uh, hand in the dirt and, and upright. He's a guy that, that has good metrics rushing the, the quarterback. Um, so they've got extra bodies that they can bring down. That's three, three guys that can take snaps down in there, but none of them are base formation guys. And I'm with you. Like this was a place where you could have gotten really good depth, um, for in the middle and maybe they'll make this look stupid and they'll, um, they'll pick up Gerald McCoy or something like that. But as it stands right now, this is likely the group that we're going in on. And that was one of the biggest weaknesses of this team is that you had no depth behind mediocre offensive tackles and you had no depth behind uh, good, but injury-prone uh, defensive lineman. Both. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point, too, on that. Uh, you know, so you're right. And, you know, if Freddie actually had some of those comments in one of his pressers uh, post uh, round, I don't know if it was day two maybe, that he had the presser where he talked about being in sub-packages 70% of the time, which, by the way, we never saw under Greg Williams anyway. Not ever. But, yeah, not ever. So, led, the, led the league in, in base formation usage. So let me say, like, you, you brought up a great point. And if that's what I see occur on the field instead of Miles Garrett taking a thousand freaking snaps, you know, then I will 100% walk this back and give them total credit for having a cohesive plan here. Right? Because that indicates that you had a plan and that's why you didn't do something that seemed obvious to other people. Yeah. Uh, so we'll revisit this, I think, after the season uh, because. You're right. If they if they did employ that kind of strategy, they could absolutely distribute those snaps without the kind of pain that we put on our defensive lineman last year. Yeah, yeah. So so we'll see. And maybe somebody blows this away. I just don't want to see guys like Price and Coley taking a significant amount of snaps as the season progresses. Because because your front four guys right now are awesome. They're great. That is a nasty front four, especially yeah. if Larry stays healthy. Um, and Vernon stays healthy, which is kind of a big if. He's a guy that's played banged up a lot. But um, it's, it's very good as it's constructed. I just, I just don't know why. It feels like 2014 when there was an incredible run on wide receivers. That was one of the best wide receiver drafts exactly. of our lifetime. And the Browns came out of it with, I think they got like a late-round guy, and that was it. And it wasn't one of the, one of the names that everybody wanted. And, and none of those guys are in the league anymore. Um, and, very and similar year. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but a very similar year to that was 2017 when that was about as deep as it gets in DBs, and we left that draft without a single free safety on the roster, not yeah. just as not a starter. And that's yeah. why you had Peppers playing out in Lake Erie all year. Yeah, for, for no reason, for absolutely no reason. And then the next year we spend the number four overall pick on Denzel Ward, who I'm very happy is on the team, but he was a guy that you could have gotten – Easily in the second round, you're seeing guys. Um, you're seeing guys that were drafted in the second round that have become productive starters yeah. elsewhere. Um, and we ended up spending a top four pick. Well, it is what it is. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But either way, I'm with you. I'd probably give it a B, but a lot of it resides. A lot of it. Um, a lot of it is going to depend on whether uh, Taki Taki can play better in a better code in a better system because. Everything that you saw on tape leads you to believe that he can be a really quality plus linebacker, um, but that he was playing in a really weird system 
um, and getting moved around constantly. Um, so, so with a, with a fixed role, he, uh, he should be a lot better, um, getting a year to play behind Christian Kirksey and then probably ultimately replacing him, which is, uh, one of the poorest kept secrets of Berea and, and something that many folks have talked about at length. Um, and a tragedy on draft day that they had him announcing the pick. <laughs> was it, was it I when it was like when when Christian Kirksey calls it out and I was like well I wouldn't have expected them to go to linebacker there but we do need them and uh sorry about your luck bro uh, <laughs> with this pick we take my replacement <laughs> <laughs> was it uh was it the punter who like punched out a window in Tennessee because they drafted his replacement uh, uh there, there was one player over the weekend whose name escapes me who who got arrested for punching out a hotel window because he was he was there in Nashville and the team definitely uh, drafted his replacement. That's hilarious. I missed that. Yeah. So um, we'll see how it plays out. Um, this is the dead time of the season, unfortunately. So we'll have lots of uh, pieces talking about how quickly these guys are picking up the playbook. Um, and then I think June. June is the next big date for this team. Yep. So we'll be uh, – We'll be looking forward to that. There's going to be a lot of projections, and all of those projections are going to be wildly inaccurate, just like the the, the mock drafts. But um, we're here to see how these guys play out. Uh, I'm excited about where this team is, and it was nice to go into a draft just drafting for depth. Um, with the exception of Greedy, um, none of these guys are, are, are penciled in to be day one starters. Um, they'll get the AFC North treatment. They'll get what the Ravens and Steelers give them, which is a chance to learn and get up to speed, get used to being an NFL player before you're thrust into a, a position where you can make or break football games. And I appreciate that. I wish this team was going to be on hard knocks this year. Yeah. Have you watched any of the, uh, the, the, the other, the making the Browns? Yes. Yes, I have. Uh, <laughs> I watched the, um, the, the one, you know what? I haven't seen the last one. So that was number four. I've seen one through okay. three. The biggest takeaway I got out of that entire thing was Freddie uh, offhandedly talking about coaches adapting or being dinosaurs mm -hmm. and man did I just love to hear that out of Freddie and when you think about you know his basically his his sentiments were you you have to bring in new ideas always you can't be just stuck in your system um and it was an offhanded comment to a staffer on their way to the press conference to uh to announce him and when you think about that in context with us bringing in Todd Munkin a very, you know, accomplished offensive coordinator, it makes you very comfortable with the idea that they're not going to have problems melding this into uh, Frankenstein of an offensive machine. <laughs> I'm excited to see how they do it. Yeah, I, I also get that vibe from it, but I'm glad that somebody else saw that too. I also love my favorite moment, and like this is such a Homer thing to say, but like my favorite moments on that show are when Baker walks around the facility, the smiles and the hugs and the way the entire building just lights up when he walks into the room. Like you can tell how loved that dude is. Um, and this was, this was the third episode when it was all about OBJ, but every time the scene flashes something that Baker was involved with, like he knows everybody first name. He's got inside jokes to everyone. It just seems like a real fun environment there. And with all the personalities that the Browns have brought in this off season, the draft is no exception. Having a guy like that, that is, is kind of the Pied Piper of the, of the team and can keep people <laughs> going in the right direction, keep people happy. It's going to be really nice to have in the, in, in, in the facility. Yeah, I think at this point, you know that all, all those things directly transferred right from the guy that he was at Oklahoma. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's obviously is Baker. It's not yeah. like – because he's had to go and do that in a professional facility with yeah. professional players. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, if you were wondering whether that was kind of fake or if it was just, you know, well, it's college anyway – type of thing well no you know he yeah. does have that kind of glue uh for a team and, and we'll be counting on him because we've got some volatile members on this team yeah yeah there's we're gonna, gonna be, time, we're, there'll be times in the season in which dudes are unhappy about not getting the ball or about the uh, a bad loss and they're gonna need that i'm, I'm with you it's, he's gonna be a, a really important uh psychologist for this team as much as he's <laughs> quarterback it seems like freddie's gonna be the kind of guy um, that helps him out and keeps him afloat. Um, so, so I'm excited to see it. So until then, um, we'll be back for, for, for some more regular content coming up. So, so look forward to that. Um, and also look forward to uh, some of the interesting stuff that we teased in the last episode that's coming up in the podcast, because uh, the days of this name and the days of this logo are coming to an end. There's some, some cool stuff coming down the road. Um, until then, John, always good to, to BS with you about the Browns and, uh, 
looking forward to what comes next. Absolutely, man. I'll catch you next time.